0: Dave's No Podcast. We have the regular crew. Dan, how you doing?
1: Not too bad. Uh, Enjoying the fake summer we're getting, which is not warm enough for me to be upset about and uh, helps helps glide into like real fall. Got out hiking this weekend. Highly recommend that. Uh, It is the most beautiful time of year in Minnesota.
0: Very good. Uh, MJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great working on bicycles uh
2: watching a lot of soccer i won't vote too much about a women's wsl team and a premier league team that are undefeated but i will say this the only two teams to disappoint me this weekend were fc Seoul and barcelona so that tells you how good a soccer <laughs> weekend it had. yeah
0: mj you had, a, you had a you had a very good weekend for <laughs> soccer yeah uh that's all we're gonna say about that so <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, you, are you even
1: recognizing england as an independent country at this point or are you just de- denying the whole island exists
0: me yeah I, I mean whatever we we don't need to talk spend too much time it, it, you know are you literally everything, hangs hate mail? everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong for liverpool yesterday like what four deflections uh that really ridiculous adrian pass in like the fourth minute um just a, a terrible high line Mane and Tiago out with, with COVID, like literally everything went wrong. That could possibly go wrong. I'm not worried about Liverpool. I think Liverpool is, is going to easily win the title again. Um, I think that seven to two is a fucking wake up call. I think that's that I, I'd be worried if I was Everton on uh, the Merseyside Derby in two weeks. I, I am really sad because
2: there was a storyline of two teams coming in undefeated to the Merseyside Derby and, whoever was going to win would deliver the first loss to the other team. And Aston Villa denies us that. Not only that, but I'm sure knowing Klopp's, how should we put it, his relentless research and, you know, on the watching the video screens of previous games, he's going to figure out all the things they did and make sure that doesn't happen again. So, um, yeah. I mean, Ancelotti's going to have to find some new weaknesses. Is, and, oh, well, that's, that's that.
0: Yeah. It'll be a fun game. It'll be a fun game. But, uh, yeah, two weeks of, of shit soccer. So um, we're going to talk about some other shit soccer. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, actually, this week, including uh, talking a little bit about what happened down in San Diego. Last weekend, Minnesota United has uh, played a game, has a couple games coming up. There's just lots of stuff that's going on. So let's uh, let's really dive into it. Uh, normally we start off um, – well, actually, you know, again, just do the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Dave's. I know. Um, we will be brewing our beer with uh, hot clouds, In a couple weeks, actually. Hopefully, we'll get some content out of that. If you are a Patreon member and you are really interested in helping brew the beer, I believe it's going to be on a a Sunday. I believe it's the 17th, I think. I don't have the dates. Maybe it's the the 8th, 16th. I can't remember. Anyways, it's going to be a a Sunday in a couple weeks. Hit me up. uh, Hit us up on on Twitter, at TDIKMN, if you are a Patreon and are interested in coming and helping brew the beer and, and learning a little bit more about brewing. Christian from Hop Clouds uh, made that offer to us. So if you are interested in doing that, um, again, hit us up on, on Twitter at TDIKMN. Uh, I'll send out an email to all the Patreons as well. Um, so again, really appreciate all your support. Uh, Patreon.com slash the Daves. I know to help support the Daves that you know. All right, let's jump in. So instead of, we normally start with the the previous match. We actually had some big news happen this week. So which really sort of affects Minnesota going forward. And that match against FC Cincinnati was kind of a boring-ass match anyways. So we'll get to that match in a little bit, but we're gonna start off with uh the United News and the big piece of United News. Um, Mason Toy uh was traded to Montreal, the Montreal Impact, I believe on Thursday. Uh this 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 last week with all the Trump COVID stuff and everything is just I remember about a week ago when we just found out that Donald Trump only paid $750 in taxes the couple last couple of years? That was a week ago, guys. <laughs> so
1: it's, uh I, I pointed this out on Twitter, but in all of sci-fi, there, and I think this is actually a, a viable science theory that is: the closer you get to a black hole, the longer time starts to dilate. Uh, that is definitely happening between now and the election, because <laughs> just just an incredible every. It's not even every day has a news story. It's like every single hour, something
0: oh, is different. Yeah, doom scrolling on Twitter today and just seeing like, oh. Half of the White House press comms team has like, has COVID. Uh, the, you know, the press secretary has COVID, but apparently didn't tell anybody. Melania Trump was bitching about kids in cages at Christmas last year. <laughs> um, that shit came out. And again, no one's talking about it right now because, and then I don't know if you saw it tonight, um, there's this video of like Trump very hev- breathing very, very heavily after leaving Walter Reed and someone pointing out like, this is exactly what like day four of my COVID was like, I couldn't breathe. Uh, and just, it's just, it's fucking bonkers. The world's bonkers. Let's talk about soccer. Uh, see, that's, that's what we call in the, in the business of transition. Uh, um Traded to Montreal. Uh, the total amount of money, $600,000 in GAM um, and a 2021 second round pick. Uh, that GAM is $150,000 this year and $450,000 next year. Minnesota also retains a percentage of the transfer fee for Mason toy. And, and an interesting thing to point out as well related to the, uh, the funny money of, of MLS is that they don't have to spend that $150,000 this year. Um, it, it, they have a, basically three to four windows, depending on there's lots of arcane rules that MLS has come up with. Um, they have at least three windows to spend that money. So more than likely they won't spend that this year. Um, and more than likely that money will probably next year go to some sort of TAM um tam-esque player maybe hopefully a a number six we can talk about that in the offseason first off what do you guys think of the trade the couple key points mason toy asked for the trade um after the kamara signing that was not that was not put up pointed out right away um then the team just sort of dropped his trade all of a sudden on a thursday morning and then you find out later in the day that with the kai kamara signing mason toy definitely believes that he should be a number one striker um wasn't getting the minutes asked the Loons to make a trade. Apparently there was uh, several teams that were interested. Uh, Montreal came back with the best offer. And for Mason Toy, Mason Toy, you know, grew up in um, the New York, New Jersey area. He was a ball boy for the Red Bulls. Uh, Terry Henry was his favorite player. So he gets to go play for Terry Henry. It's, you know, his all-time favorite player. Um, what an amazing guy to learn, um, to learn how to, uh, you know, score goals under. And something I pointed out on, uh, on Twitter, this is the fourth striker type um, that we've shipped out in as many seasons in MLS and five, if you count Darwin Cantero, Darwin Cantero's is not necessarily a striker, but he was, you know, pseudo striker Um, So, yeah, so this says a lot about entry, this, the striker whisperer. And um, so, yeah, let's, uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on the trade?
1: From, from toy standpoint, which is where I want to start one. I completely don't blame him for wanting to leave. And actually Adrian, Heath didn't really, eat yeah, it no. uh, said, you know, at that age and as a striker, if you're going to be a good striker, you always want to be on the field and you always think you're the number one. So I think there was honestly some appreciation, uh, in Inchi's voice when he said it. So the, there's certainly no, no blame there for that. Um, I love this deal for Mason toy, like go somewhere you're wanted, go somewhere where you're going to see the field a ton and go learn from the literal best striker in history. And the guy who played like you want to play, um, a lot of the analysis, and, and I think it's right, has focused on the fact that Adrian Heath loves the the Kai Kamara big body number nines. Uh, Angelo Rodriguez was one. Amaria plays that way a little bit, even though he's not doesn't have quite the same frame size. Uh, the the back to goal take on two defend hold up two defenders. And either turn and fire or or find somebody else. That was never Mason Toy's style. Uh he was far more a drop back, pick up the ball in the midfield, run with it, etc. And that's Thierry Henry to a T as a player. I assume he does that less as a coach now. Uh so from his standpoint, I, I love it. I'm really happy for him. I'm gonna watch every minute of Montreal's games going forward because I want to see how he develops. From a Minnesota United standpoint, my initial response to this trade was overwhelmingly negative. Um I don't, Garbuck's always make it a little hard to figure out exactly how much money is changing hands. Uh, you know, today was the closing of the transfer window in Europe, and it's pretty dang easy to see, like, this is a $25 million player, this is a $50 million player, and you can sort of wait it out with Gam and Tam, bam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, it's all, it's all a little bit weird, and there's sort of an internal economy that makes it hard. I have softened on this deal, and the fact that Toy wanted out makes me think, that it was probably the right deal to make for the team. Um, if he wasn't going to get the minutes, he wasn't going to be that valuable. And 600000 is a pretty decent amount of money. So the, the pick is kind of whatever, right? Like if a second rounder comes through, that's it's icing on the cake, but I would never count on it. So I've softened on this deal. I'm still really disappointed because Mason Toy, I think, has a ton of potential. Um, he's, he's definitely the type of player that it would have been really easy to get behind for his entire career. Right. Like he comes up as a 19 year old. He was a little bit of a risk as a draft pick. um, And then plays, you know, plays into big shoes, becomes a 20 goal scorer, becomes the player he wants to be, and then gets sold to some mid to high level European team. Right. Like that's the dream. And now that's clearly not going to happen. And I don't necessarily see that player on Minnesota's squad. And that's no shot at Dotson or DSC or anybody like that. Those are, those are great players, but there was something about toy. He had that magnetism of being that, that generational type player. And he just, he really hasn't gotten there. So.
0: And, and he could with, with, if if he develops into a a 20 goal scorer next year with uh, with uh, Terry Henry, um, he's only 21 right now. So he'll be 22. So he could, you know, and that in his contract will be up after next year. He could make a move to, to Europe, um, in uh 2022 um and it'd still be a relatively young relatively young player um if especially if he, if he you know starts playing well and gets some national team uh or you know um youth national team calls, maybe the olympics uh in the summer i uh, will be interested so mj do you have any thoughts on on the deal
2: dan i hear what you're saying about heath's system and the types of strikers he likes on his teams and. It, you know, that's a lot of heavy dose of reality that I just need to accept because ideally he looks at Toy and his talent level and his potential and he rethinks how he wants to run on attacking front four based on Toy's style and that he's fast. He's going to come back, help on defense and help with the clearances on, on defense and move the ball forward in a more pass on the pitch, pass and move, interchanging, front attacking four, then, you know, crossing big big body, um, lobbing up to big body type, type of uh, attack. I dislike it because if you compare him to the draft pick before him, Abu Demati, way higher soccer IQ, fast, like Demati, doesn't have the knee injury problems that Demati has, and was a huge improvement. Now, was he as good a draft pick as the... Dotson-Gasper-DSC year, I mean, let's just not combine all three of those players, but if we were just to take one of those players, is is he as good as, as as a Dotson? Maybe not. Maybe so. He just wasn't really given a fair shake to, to prove himself. He always was having to play second or most, most often third fiddle to other people that he preferred. And that lack of time to... Develop chemistry with players, especially now that we have Lude on the right and Renoso in the middle. Um, you know, it's too bad he didn't get a, a more time to develop chemistry with those guys.
0: Yeah, it is. It is frustrating. I think. I think without seeing any corresponding moves, it's hard to. And I think Dan, you mentioned this in the in the Slack. It's hard to. And just right now, it's hard to like have a, a definitive uh, opinion on this. Um, without any sort of corresponding move. We are very, I mean, we're very thin at striker. We're going to, we can sort of maybe talk, maybe this is an opportunity to talk about Amaria. Uh, he's getting a second opinion on whether he should have surgery or not, um, you know, or, or, what kind of surgery he's going to have. Definitely sounds like he is more than likely out um, for the rest of the year, which means we have Kai Kamara, who is 36 years old uh, and Aaron Schoenfeld, who is not an uh starting striker. <laughs> um as much as I like Aaron Schoenfeld uh, and the dude, um, I don't know. He looks, uh, he's got a a very, uh, he's very, he's very handsome. Let's put it that way. Um, That's why they call him big celery. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He's not a, uh, he's not a, uh, you know, 60 minute uh, MLS striker going to score you a bunch of goals. Right. Um, So we're very thin uh, up top. uh, now that we don't have toy and Maybe we will have to deploy our uh, our Kiwi Noah Billingsley, who played striker in college, but uh, as MJ had pointed out in a in a text thread, is listed as a right back for us for Minnesota United. So maybe Billingsley will get some get some minutes up top now that he's back off from his loan. So uh, I want to up, jump, uh, yeah. yeah, Let
1: me jump really quick on something MJ pointed out because I think the comparison to Dunlady is a really interesting one. Uh, we have such a perception of Dunlady as being not as productive as he should have been. And look, you're taking, if you're taking 1-1, there are some expectations that go along with that. Add in the fact that the rest of that first round looks like the best in MLS history, and it it complicates it even more. But Dunlady scored 11 goals, had five assists in about 2,600 minutes with the Loons. Mason Toy, notably fewer minutes, uh, 16, 14 minutes, only seven goals and two assists. So on a permanent basis, he was even less productive than Dunlady, and so it's really interesting to me that the perception and i share this is that toy had the more had more promise of the two and some of that is injury and some of that is opportunity but mason toy was was a very streaky player and i think that's one thing that working with Thierry henry will need to correct which is whether you feel great, whether you're getting good service or not, like you've got to run. If, that's, if, the, if you're the type of player who is going to bring the ball up and sort of be a combined nine and 10, you've got to do it for 90 minutes because it doesn't work for you to only run when you want to run. Um, so it, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting to have a player who the perception is he was so talented and the production was just never there. So it'll be completely fascinating to me to see if he hits that, if he becomes, if he, he has made no secret, Mason Toy has not, that he wants to go to Europe. Right now, like, does he does he go to the second division in Sweden? I mean, this is not a guy who has proven that he's a first division player anywhere. So it'll be really yeah. interesting to see, one, if he makes that move, if he's, you know, if, if, if he's 100% dead set on being a player who played in Europe, or if he takes the time with Thierry Henry plays let's say four seasons in montreal and then goes over and at that point he would still just be 26 so he he has the time but a lot of the perception with toy doesn't bear out once you start digging into the numbers
0: yeah and it's important i mean minnesota it's to minnesota's benefit if if he does well because minnesota does retain a percentage of his sell-on fee um we don't know what that percentage is but it's it's something so which is interesting uh, so let's talk about another player that um, Miss is not going to have uh, for the next four to five games uh, is Jan Grigus. Uh He was called up by Slovakia. He left yesterday. Um, they have three matches coming up. Um, and the earliest he would be back uh, would be the 15th or the 16th of October. Uh, and the, I think the estimated uh, time that he'll need to quarantine is 10 days. So he's going to miss uh, probably five games that um, the, the, all the way up to the FC Cincinnati game on October 24th um back for the final three matches uh Colorado Sporting Kansas City and uh FC Dallas uh the good news here is that you know obviously losing Young Grey Goose for you know five matches is not ideal um the good news is that you know we're not playing like the best competition in the world <laughs> And we don't and you know there was we there's worries that we were gonna lose both uh Robin Lude and Colette, Kevin Molino as well. Um both those guys did not go out uh, for international duty. So just using, losing young grey goose. Um so you know, what does Minnesota do uh in the in the interim with uh with no young gray goose? The interesting thing for me is the double whammy if
2: Ozzy Alonso doesn't come back.
0: Yeah, it should be pointed out that it sounds like Ozzy is close to being back, but we don't know. We have no definitive answer on that. So
2: yeah, so all we've heard he's close. How close? Correct. You know, are are we talking about, you know, MJ close to changing his diet close or MJ close to a large uh chicken burrito close? I mean, those are two different close closenesses. So <laughs> we don't know. And so then our center midfield, if we stick with Heath 4-2-3-1 really looks like Dotson and Hayes, which would mean Dotson and Hayes in a double pivot, and both of them are attacking. Neither of them is really defensive. Now, of the two, I would probably trust Dotson and say, you need to play more like your right back self than your attacking midfield self, and you need to kind of hang back more. I would trust him as the six more than Hayes, but it's still means that if we get on the attack and we have both Gasper and Metonair charging forward and Ja'Cory Hayes and, and Dotson charging forward, our center backs are going to be hosed on the counter. So th- that's my concern.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, the one thing I'm excited about here is, is we have talked quite a bit both on this podcast and on various texts and slacks and whatnot, that, Dotson's proclivity for getting forward really suits an 8 more than a 6. And so I think this is the opportunity for the team to see, okay, he may not be our 6 of the future, is he our 8 of the future? I don't I don't think you're going to pull Jan Greg willingly out for that much time, but now they'll sort of be forced into it. Um, totally agree MJ. I don't think you can I don't think you can run a 4-2-3-1 out there with Dotson and Hayes. Uh, Dotson is the 8, Musa is the 6. Maybe it puts a lot of pressure on Musa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're going to do that, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit uh, specifically with Nashville coming up, because uh, with Gregoosh and Ozzy Alonso for sure out for this game, I don't think you can play a four-two-three-one when your midfield is hollow. So uh, to me, this this starts to set up like a four-three-three.
0: So I'll just throw this out there when um, we can talk about this, when we get to Nashville uh, Adrian Heath has said it's either going to be a three-man backline or a four, four, two against Nashville uh, tomorrow. So okay. that wasn't a piece that Andy Greeter had out earlier, earlier today. So um, we can discuss that more, um, you know, that piece more in regards to Nashville. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting point about, you know, seeing what we have with, with, Dawson as a number eight, um, and yeah, Musa probably Musa in that role. Although you know, J'cori, um, I don't. He the, the, the dude likes to get stuck in. So uh, you know, in spite of being very small, he definitely is a has a uh, bulldog mentality. So the uh,
1: yeah the 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 thing that I would really like to see the team do is take this opportunity. You know, up until this point, we've sort of gone into most of these games assuming okay four four two three one. That's the assumption. So-and-so is out. So who slots into that position? Given that we're talking about a month, a really sizable amount of time, I would love to see Heath and the staff pull back. And instead of saying, okay, how are we replacing these guys in our system really to look at who they've got on the lineup and say, okay, where are our strengths? Where are our weaknesses? And just build the team from there. Uh, You know, Debasi, for example, is the, isn't Opara level mobile getting forward, but he's a notably more mobile center back than most, for example. So do you put him, I actually, I really like the idea of a back three, particularly with Gasper out. So a three, five, two or, or whatever. So it's just, it's, but it's not something we've seen Heath do. It really seems like there are, are roles that he wants to to fit in. And if this team has 16 square pegs, it doesn't matter if the board has eight square peg or eight hole eight square holes and eight round holes he's going to keep trying to jam square pegs into round holes so i'd really love to see them take the step back and say okay we have long enough to test something completely new let's go ahead and do it plus most of the teams they're going to play during that four suck and they should be willing to try something new
0: yeah uh, just as a point of, of order uh, or clarification, the MLS transfer window uh, runs through October 29, so there is still some time for, for Minnesota United to make a move. Um, whether that is for a midfielder, um, you know, obviously the international transfer window is is closed um jack wilshire is available um so don't get my hopes
1: up yeah. i, I tr- truly and I, I promise not to belabor this point i would love to see jack wilshire come to mls yeah i still think he can do a job and he's only 28 yeah can
2: you play six
0: no, <laughs> no. god no <laughs> uh a couple other quick pieces before we get uh to the to the recap um uh so as you mentioned Ozzy potentially back soon Amaria getting sort of that second opinion I I think it's you know whether he's gonna have surgery or whether he could sort of rehab it without surgery I think Amaria's gone for the rest of the year and then um this related to the next point about Ike and Para, uh Jeff Ruger had a chat if you're if you're not a member of subscribe to The Athletic I would highly recommend it it's it's great if you are I love soccer their soccer coverage is fantastic um if you like any other sports like they're minnesota wild coverage is really great mike russo um is a fantastic writer uh, on the wild their uh, twins coverage is really great with aaron gleeman and dan hayes um i think it's like a dollar a month right now if you want to subscribe to the athletic this is not a, 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 a athletic ad although if they want to give me a free like if they want to give us a all three of us a free year of of the athletic then please by all means reach out um but he pointed out that he there doesn't seem to be any indication from the team that they're going to keep Amaria at whatever the price point his uh, buy his buy clause is. That doesn't mean they might not re- renegotiate with the the team from Paraguay uh, where he came from. Um, however, the one thing he did mention, and this is actually a relation to a question around Icapara, um, and you know this is his answer to a question about you know the I think the question was related to how. It was weird that we haven't do. don't know anything about Ike. We've talked a little bit about this, and I know none of us want to speculate. Um, and you know, and how the team was less than forthcoming with Hegel Par's injury. And this was uh, Jeff Reuter's response. Uh, it's weird, but that's only by Minnesota standards. They've been one of the more open teams. Heath as one of the more open coaches in terms of disclosing exact injuries. If par's injury is what I think it is, and he puts in parentheses, he's not concussions. It won't be career ending. He still trains as often as he can. He's up to day to day in Heath's estimation. It's just why would you risk him in such a bizarre year when he has multiple years left on his contract and multiple years left of his prime? Gotta play the long game here. Caution is a good plan. So that leads me to believe that we're probably not gonna see a this year. Um, I don't wanna I obviously do not want to speculate on what his potential injuries are, but either way, I think it's I think that's an important thing to consider and you know why sort of helps inform why we went after Bakai Debasi. Why he sort of you know got thrown into that starting role pretty much right away. So
1: and he certainly acquitted himself well. Um, I was not hundred yeah. percent sure that that signing was more than panic, but he's he's really been fine. Um, I do tend to agree with Jeff. Uh, if if it, if this is a situation where he's pretty healthy but not totally healthy, I do think the weirdness of the season is absolutely playing into it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, if he's feeling really good a month from now, and the team looks like they're gonna make the playoffs. Boy, do you do you have the conversation? I mean, like this isn't college where you've got to redshirt him a full year or nothing. Yeah. He could legitimately come back for those games and it's a risk for sure, but I I'd be interested to know if those conversations are happening. Um but it is like it's really good to know that we're not talking about the end of Ike's career because ultimately he still he still has a huge role to play in the
0: future of this club. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like Ike. <laughs> All right. Uh, great contribution. And then the last thing, um, if you know, a lot of uh, Minnesota United fans are watching uh, Fox Sports North via YouTube TV, which the, their deal with Sinclair, which came they came to uh, an agreement in the spring, I believe in March-ish uh, to extend the um, FSN, uh, which is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, which is a asshole of a company, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, their deal ended. So they don't, actually really the only way to legally watch, uh, FSN, if you would, or don't have cable in Minnesota is with Hulu, uh, Hulu live TV. So I know a lot of people are trying to figure out what to do. Um, if you have a VPN, uh, and have ESPN plus, you can easily watch the matches that way. The only problem there is that you potentially might get the other team's announcers, which we know in MLS is not necessarily a good thing. Um, for all the, for all the crap we give Cal uh, and Cal and Kendra are actually probably in my estimation of the announcers that I've heard one of the better broadcasting duo, um, especially in terms of like, just how they're not, I mean, obviously they, they are Minnesota United fans, but they're not so much of homers that it just makes the broadcast unlistenable. Um, Kendra's uh, I think a great color commentator brings a lot to the game. Cal for all of his uh, eccentricities is, is I think a pretty good play by play guy as well. So if you haven't got a chance to listen to other to listen to some other broadcasting groups around the around the, the league, it's it, it gets pretty bad. So that's like the one the one caveat with a VPN and ESPN plus is that you may end up with the opposing team's feed, and that could be uh, really annoying. <laughs> so
2: also, while there is no learning curve to let's say for you to grab to a VPN, there might be a learning curve for you to figure out how to change the country of where you want to be coming from. So in... And- it's, it's not hard. I've done it, but yeah. you know, for those that are less tech savvy, you know, getting a VPN installed might be the limits of your. yeah.
0: That actually the nice, I'll, I'll just say the nice thing. Cause I, I just installed, I just uh, downloaded Nord VPN. They had a deal. Basically it was two years. It was basically like you paid for two years up front. It was $89 dollars yeah. for two years, which basically accounts to about four bucks, less than $4 a month. Um, actually the Nord VPN is really, it's really simple. Uh, you can and you can download it as an ext- a browser extension. You can download it onto your like a, as a desktop app if you have a laptop or a desktop. And you also have a mobile app too that you can download um, to use. So you can turn it on on your phone as well. So, it makes it really easy. It's really simple. I think it's a lot easier now um, with like ExpressVPN and NordVPN versus some of the old the old school VPNs, which were a little more a little more meticulous. And it's really easy to pick a certain city from uh, if you at least with NordVPN there is not really a server. Uh, area in the twin cities. So pretty much anything in the United States is going to get you access to the Minnesota United game. So there you
2: go. Uh yep. NordVPN if you want to sponsor the Dave's I know, <laughs>
1: please reach out to us. <laughs> yes, we're please. talking everything tonight. Yeah, NordVPN, the
0: athletic, Diamond Joe's Casino down in uh down in Iowa. If you wanna if you wanna become our, our official uh our official bookies, uh well just hit us up. Um all right. Well, let's jump in. Let's talk about uh this very I, more or less I, I think fairly boring match against SC cincinnati uh pat this past saturday um missile lineup with a 4-3-3 the exact same lineup as their match against rsl which was the the 0-0 draw the week before the only difference being that uh kevin molino and brian Coleman, who is uh, back uh, from his loan and done with his quarantine were on the bench uh, aha and chacon both not on the bench um it sounds like from earlier reports that that Chacon loan is, is working its way and probably going to be happening sooner rather than later. So, the first half, uh, missile actually came up fairly well. Um, we're on the front foot, uh, created some chances. And in the 12th minute, uh, Cincinnati, uh, deploying um, with an absolute stomp on Chase Gasper in the box, there was no call originally. And then, after the ball went out of play, the uh, VAR came in and um, Duplan got a yellow card and uh, Gasper uh, won the penalty for Minnesota to step up. And you know who steps up? Kai Kamara, Uh, he puts it in, uh, makes it Minnesota one, um, FC Cincinnati zero. Uh, Kai Kamara gets his 130th goal and is the only player in MLS history to score for eight different teams. He scored for every single team that he's played for, which makes sense as a striker uh kai kamar is one of the only two players i think that's played for eight mls teams and he scored for each and single one so that's pretty fucking cool uh i'm not gonna lie welcome to minnesota united kai Kumar. <laughs> did you yeah.
1: surprise you guys at all that he was just instantly granted penalty duties i have no problem with it i was just a little surprised like oh i didn't I, know he was a penalty taker
0: i was wondering who was gonna step up and take it uh i mean of all the guys on the pitch i mean he probably he made the most sense i mean Maria was the penalty taker um, right away at the beginning of the season um, after having played what, you know, for in Minnesota for all of like three weeks. So I think maybe that is Inchi's uh, MO that if the, if the striker is confident as a penalty taker, that he's the default penalty taker. So, although it'd be interesting because Ozzy normally uh, does does Ozzy take penalties as well? Uh, uh,
1: Kevin Molino and Finley.
0: You know, Finley. Finley and both those guys, obviously Molino on the bench and Finley, not in the 18s, so that makes sense. Um, should have been Gasper.
1: Yeah, we know we we know he can do it from the Columbus game. It should, Gasper should have taken his own.
0: Yes, he could. Although you know he had gotten the shit kicked out of him uh, or stomped on his ankle there. So uh, second half comes out Minnesota. Um, again, it's you know allowing Cincinnati the ball. That was actually one thing. Minnesota Cincinnati had more of the ball in the first half, and ultimately had more of the ball overall. Um, I think it was like ended up being fifty-eight forty-two in terms of the entirety of possession. They definitely. Took their foot off the gas towards the end of the first half and even in the second half, um, allowed FC Cincinnati plenty of opportunity with the ball, although, which is fine because FC Cincinnati has like Jurgen Lacadia, and that is fucking it. They have no <laughs> nobody a creative in their pretty much in their team. So you can let them have the ball for as much as they want. They're not gonna actually get anything. Um, although I will say Dane Sinclair, we'll talk about Dane Sinclair in a second, made some pretty amazing saves, including a uh, point blank range from Jurgen Lacadia just before halftime. I will say in the 50th minute, Chase Gasper got a yellow card um, because that is what Chase Gasper does, which means he misses the next match, which means he will miss the uh, Nashville SC match coming up, which is why we're going to be talking about possibly playing in a 3-5-2 for the next match. 61st minute, Kevin Molino comes on for Ja'Cory Hayes, which shifts the formation to Adrian Heath's preferred 4-2-3-1. And not eight minutes later, um, Molino scores a goal. Uh, Reynoso has just an amazing pass. Milino has tons of space to run out of the ball and uh, slots it past the, the keeper and make it two nothing Minnesota, which is what the final score ended up being in the 72nd minute. uh, Schoenfeld comes on for Kamara, And again, um, when this will be a question that we have, um, you know, those were the only two subs that Minnesota made was Milino and and Schoenfeld knowing full well that we have a match less than 72 hours later. um, Adrian Heath made uh, two substitutions. So out of five, out of five possible Garrett, correct. Um, so yeah, do you guys have any thoughts on the game as a whole? Um, again it, this is not a you know we played a four through three with only three attackers which was a lot very frustrating to a lot of people myself included um, but again, it's FC Cincinnati so you can afford to not play a ton of attackers because it's FC Cincinnati so what are your thoughts overall on the game? Uh, MJ we had that really good chance with
2: vood attacking on the right and crossing over kai kamara almost getting on the end of that were it not for a center back from fc cincinnati and we also had a point where i can't remember who it was maybe it was maybe it was gasper who crossed one in and and kai kamara almost got a head on it you know yeah. we in the first half we looked like we were attacking well and we were just missing by a few inches. You know, here or there, uh, Jan Gregoosh had, had a, a great strike from from distance. I believe in the second half, and and the uh, Titan made made a great save. Yeah. So it looked like our CAC was better, but this is FC Cincinnati, so right. We want to hang four or five goals on those teams. You know that didn't happen. Yeah. I, I I end up happy for the three points, but I. Feel like we left a lot on the pitch that you know should have been better.
0: Yeah, sure. Robin Robin Lute had had two really great chances that he just kinda he number one, one he took a really poor first touch um and wasn't able to get around the goalkeeper. And then yeah, your your the uh I think it was the the cross in that he just couldn't the shot. yeah, the shots the, the the shafts that he that came in that he couldn't quite uh, crowd in the back of the net. Um, Kamara had another one as well before or shortly after his uh, his penalty. Um, Dan, do you have any 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 thoughts on the match?
1: Uh, you know, I was really interested to see. I missed the first half. Caught of the second. Um, it, perhaps unsurprisingly, haven't gone back to to really dissect the FC Cincinnati match. Um, I was surprised; it felt like United had pretty solid control in the second half. So I'm shocked to see. FC Cincinnati was 63% possession, 12 shots, uh, way out shooting and way out possessing Minnesota United. So it, it really speaks to the fact that Cincinnati, and we'll get into this with the Freddie Aduz, is so much worse than the sum of their parts. And I cannot for the life of me figure out how. Like, <laughs> you look at the guys on their roster, and it's a lot of people that I think, like, in a vacuum, I like as MLS players, Harris and really solid you yakubo I had high expectations for frankie amaya first overall pick guy who's shown a lot of promise you're going locadia uh was a solid player for Hoffenheim not two seasons ago like this is a team that should be pretty functional and and should be able to beat better teams on their day and they're just not like I think of the of the 12 shots two were on target so three, three were but, on target we'll three. See. okay uh, the majority of the rest were blocked yeah so it's like it's like they can't they can't even figure out when to stop an attack and when they should be continuing to like this team has so many weaknesses it's hard to identify what even has the potential to be a strength later and like that's that's weird mls has, has had bad teams before and has plenty of them but these guys are something else
0: mm-hmm <laughs>
1: And fortunately, we play them again at the end of the season.
0: Yeah. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right. Uh, let's jump into our, our Freddie Adu's. MJ, why don't you start with uh, Minnesota? Who, is your, uh, who are your Freddie Adu's?
2: Uh, he only had to make three saves technically, but just positioning and intensity and communicating with his back line, getting much more comfortable with, with communicating and telling his back line and other players where, where to be. Uh, Dane Sinclair, obviously, uh, he, he made two saves that were phenomenal out of those three saves. And
0: so he gets my pretty new best player of the game. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Um, he was would be mine too. So, Dan?
1: Uh, DSC had a, another massive game. Um, once again, the offseason conversation of DSC or Tyler Miller is going to be fascinating. Um, I'm going to give a slight nod to Emmanuel Reynoso. Amazing pass on the Molino goal um and just once again when good things happen he's usually part of it in one way or another uh he's also probably the first minnesota united attacking player other than darwin cantero in his first couple of games where he gets the ball at his feet and it doesn't matter where he is as soon as reynoso gets the ball you sort of sit up and watch a little more closely because he's capable of, of doing so much in any given situation so um but yeah, he's he's my he's my player of the game. He's probably honestly my player of the season, unless he completely falls apart from the next six <laughs> games, which is possible because he's playing a shit ton of minutes and the games are coming thick and fast.
0: That's fair. He did he did look tired towards the end of this game, and which uh, when we were at the, uh, I was talking with Wes and David Martin. I was just like, why? like, Bring on Raheem Edwards. Just bring somebody else on. You know, you can slide Molino into that into that that role, um, and and just get get Reynoso off when you know you're gonna have two matches in less than you know in less than seven days. Get Reynoso off once you you know once the game is like once the game is secure. You're not as soon as he's not scoring two goals. Um, as soon as Molino scored that goal, you know I would have yanked Reynoso off and said, "Great job." killed it you're doing great get some rest right we're gonna, we need you to turn around in, in 72 hours and do this against nashville which is going to do they're going to bunker in they're going to it's going to be you're going to need right now so to be creative against nashville if we have any hope of winning that game uh and then you know you have two games in in, in less than a week so i just don't wonder i again we'll we'll get to it in a second so um i think we all agreed on uh on our uh, shitty to Do who wants to who wants to talk about romaine met match go for it mj he just
2: On both sides of the pitch, mainly the defensive end. You know, going forward, his distribution wasn't horrible. I don't remember any huge turnovers that led to a FC Cincinnati goal-scoring attack like maybe we've seen in in previous games from any number of our back line. But defensively, he looked a little lost, a little out of of place, and and he looked
0: tired. Yeah, again, I uh, agree. He's been you know, outside of that red card match, he's played pretty much um, almost every possible minute. Um, you know, well, like the exception of the, of the MLS back term that gave me got hurt. So we need to, we need to give these guys some rest. So, all right. Um, let's very quickly um, make you guys' case for FC Cincinnati. I forgot to, to pick a shitty player for Cincinnati. Again, it was really hard. So um, MJ, why don't you make your case for your guys, but just give me both of them.
2: Okay. For my next pretty new best player of the game, I'm going to go with Michael Vanderperf, And it's solely Vanderperf because of that trackback on the lewd uh, shafts or shafts. So the lewd Schre- uh, was it a shot? Was it a pass? Over and Kai Kamara would have been on the end of that. And even though time and space were running out, if Vanderperf doesn't make that, that run and he does, he's not there, that's probably a goal and my pretty do worst player of the game is left mid Alan Cruz. He didn't have a bad game. He did his everyone else on the team had better pass distribution than he did. Cruz had eight successful passes and about 10 passes that were, didn't hit their target or went out of bounds. And just, wasn't involved a lot. You know, he, you know, the, they weren't working the ball towards him on offense. Uh He defensively wasn't really a weakness. It was just, he was the worst player on the team.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to really dig into the spirit of the Freddie Adus here and we're going, not just players that were bad, but that were just disappointing that you thought this really, you're capable of more. I have seen you be better than this and you're just not. Uh, so my good Freddie, to do is literally none of them. And my bad Freddie, to do is literally all of them because this is a team that should be so much better than it is. And I don't even think it comes down to coaching. Lord knows they've gone through enough coaches that one of them should have been able to a not be racist and b get something out of the team, but they haven't gotten either of those things. Although I suppose the doesn't have a racial incident yet. So, that's a that's a mark in his favor yeah. so far. So this like I I am consistently amazed at the talent level on this team and then their inability to show up for games. And what's even weirder is we've seen them do it this calendar year. The in MLS is back, they actually beat teams. They looked okay. They don't look okay anymore.
0: No. They haven't scored a goal since September nineteenth, and I think they've scored two goals uh, in the entirety since the MLS's back tournament. So um, they're not very good, um, you know. It's I like
2: thought facial hair during COVID. You know, it, b- before COVID, it looked okay. N- now, you know, with just the l- lack of attention, you know, it, it doesn't look okay anymore.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you know, Jurgen LaCadia, he had a couple really great chances. Um, really, the only chances for the team. So, you know, I think by sort of default, I give him my Freddy do for good player. All right. So that is, that's Cincinnati. Uh, we win to nothing. We get the job done. Um, which is, you know, important. Uh, loons jumped to fourth place in the Western conference. Currently we do have, uh, we, we are game. We have a game ahead of most of the teams that are right around us and above us. So, um, hopefully, you know, hopefully we stay there. Uh, obviously COVID knocked out a couple teams this weekend from being able to play. So, all right. So a couple of big questions. Um, we've, this is a newer thing we've been doing. Uh, i to start with the, the substitution, uh, usage. So if you, did see mls.com had a soccer.com um had a story uh that was basically about this it sort of talked about it used adrian Heath's quote from last week uh about americans fascination with substitutions and then the, the writer um i can't remember who the writer was but dug in to see who you know who has been using the most subs who's been using the least subs um uh, unsurprisingly minnesota is um not surprisingly minnesota is not the worst um in terms of using subs we are the third from the bottom, um, 12 matches, we used 42 substitutes, substitu- excuse me, which is an average of three and a half subs per match. This includes, by the way, the first two matches of the season where we only had the three substitutions available to us. So does skew the numbers a little bit, um, but there are some teams um, that are using basically almost five subs every match. San Jose, of course, being one of them, um, the Red Bulls being another one, those are obviously teams that do a lot of pressing, so it makes sense that they use a lot of substitutions. Um, again, surprisingly, we're not the last team. Uh, we are ahead of both Sporting Kansas City and Montreal. As a matter of fact, in terms of substitutions, both Sporting Kansas City and Montreal make fewer substitutions than uh, the Minnesota. So, I guess my biggest question is: you know, we've talked about Adrian's sub strategy, and and this, you know, I think my big takeaway from this is that Adrian has a game plan and has no common sense about or no ability to change that game plan so therefore he doesn't think substitutions are going to help him because he doesn't have a plan b right so he doesn't use the subs because he doesn't have a plan b in order to change it or he doesn't or and or he doesn't think that we have the players to to make the changes that are needed in which case why like that's a whole other and that's a whole other uh issue i don't think it's that i think it's mostly that he just doesn't have a plan b um you know he complained he's been complaining for years about depth this is a, finally we have depth right we have raheem edwards um, who hasn't seen the pitch in like three matches which is fucking weird um you know Jacory hayes marlon hairston we actually have a little bit of depth uh players who are obviously not kevin molino they're not you know babelow they're not um kai kamara-esque uh, in terms of what they can do, but they're not the complete step down that we had before, where we we're bringing in uh, Ishiome uh, in 2017, right? We actually have players who are relatively capable, MLS veteran type players who can who can do a job and can fulfill a role. Um, so, what do we think about Adrian? This, you know, the, the Minnesota United's just general usage of subs, especially considering all the all the matches that we have, we've literally played seven matches in September and we used, you know, less than, less than four subs, you know, three and a half subs per match, less than three subs, I think for, for most of September. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts?
2: I'm reminded of watching high school sports where you may be like a basketball or a hockey, have the opportunity to use your whole squad and you have a high school coach who is just bent on winning and not doesn't really care about inclusion of players that might not be as good or surrounding those players that might not be as good with better players or getting them development time in game. You know, they'll get development in practice. If they don't prove it in practice, Hey, we'll only play six players. We're just only going to play six players on, on the court, because those are the six players I like, and that's who we can win with. And I don't trust anybody except those six players. And sometimes watching Minnesota United, I get the feel that Heath is one of those coaches.
1: Yeah, I, we've certainly seen players end up in his doghouse and not ever see the pitch again. I mean, they may as well be buried under the stadium for as much as they're, quote-unquote, in the 18. Um, you know, I, a part of me wonders if part of this is just the, the nature of the games Minnesota has played. So if you look at the games starting uh, beginning of – September, the 3-0 blowout by Houston Dynamo. Uh, and then four days later, Minnesota blew out RSL 4-0. From that point on, United has played either one-goal games or drawn. And two of those games included a red card, which then gets even screwier, up until the the 2-0 yesterday. Uh, sorry, Saturday. And so – I think MJ, your point is well taken because the issue here is that for all he's crowing about depth with games still within touching distance or on the line, he's super scared. He doesn't put in these new players. He isn't rotating the squad. I do wonder if let's say, well, the RSL RSL game is an interesting one because that was nil-nil at the half. So if instead the four goals had all come in the first half, I wonder if we would have seen five substitutes and we start would have seen guys starting to come off. The other weird factor here is United has had some de facto squad rotation. Uh, this is noted in the article, but if you're only looking at subs, you end up sort of ignoring the games where like Gio Savarese puts an entirely different 11 out, um, So, for example, United has had very different strikers this month because they got Kai Kamara in the middle of the month. And uh, Molina was hurt, but Reynoso came in. And so that's – there's a a little bit of some wiggle room on these numbers. But two, those guys have to to blood in. And so even in a game that, yeah, you you feel pretty good about – or that, you know, you're pretty sure you're going to lose. Either way, there's still some value in keeping a guy like Reynoso out there just so we can learn his teammates a little bit better. Um, you know
0: I so I, I get that I understand I get that argument, especially with Molino. Um, he hasn't really played with Kevin Molino. Those if those two guys can get on the same page, that's a really interesting and really dynamic pairing, right? If if if, if you have Reynoso, Lude and Molino all playing together you know Melino on the left, Lude on the right and 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 Renoso in the middle. That could be really interesting and you know could provide a lot of a lot of the scoring that we've sort of lacked over the course of the last, you know, uh, month or so. Um, so I get I I understand that a little bit. It just it seems for a team that, you know, keeps running into injury problems uh, th- that we talked about needing depth and then going on getting depth. We don't really use our depth. Um, And Dan, your point is, is right. Right. We, for example, when we played that three, five, two against sporting Kansas city, we, we had like five, five new players in the lineup. Right. So we have done, there has been situations where Minnesota has, you know, heavily rotated their squad. And I guess it wouldn't surprise me if we see, especially with Greg who's gone, um, especially with Chase Gasper being out. And we'll talk about this in a second. A, 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 fairly heavily rotated squad down in Nashville um, as well. And, you know, but again, we've, and part of the two is, is still bringing like guys coming back from injury, like uh, uh, Ozzie and, and Ethan Finley, those guys, you know, theoretically will be, they won't have all of the um, mileage on their legs per se. Right. So Ethan Finley might, you know, if, he, if he's able to come back before the end of the year and it sounds like he's, he's going to, that will, you know, he will bring another, an, another bit. And that maybe gives Adrian Heath, a little more confidence in using certain substitutes. So,
2: Dan, to your point, the there is a difference between subbing and squad rotation. And David, you hinted at this too, like we've rotated our squad maybe instead of subbing it. It would be interesting if alongside these sub-statistics, they had sort of a balance of how many players have been used and what the distribution of minutes were of, of those set players. Uh do we have a sense that other teams are better distributing minutes over their 30 person roster than we are our 28 person roster? Maybe. Um we've certainly talked before about how he seems to run one team into the ground till he's forced to, you know, due, due to injury or or illness, forced to put new people in rather than sprinkle in a few bench players here, a few bench players the next week. And it, it, it's frustrating because while in a normal year, that may work, you have really fit players, you spend a lot of time in preseason on fitness, you know who your favorite players are, and you know they can play 90 minutes, a lot fewer midweek games, games spread out, maybe there's a few break, probably works, or at least works better. But this sort of Heath mentality of having your favorites, always playing your favorites, trying to run them as long as they can... Very little preventative injury, you know, preventative substitutions or squad rotation during the way that MLS is back and now phase one and phase two with this compressed schedule. It's the worst.
1: Yeah, I think, I think, it, and I mean, we we've had some of these conversations in the past. Like this is a weak spot for Adrian Heath, and the fixture list is just exacerbating it. And I feel badly for him a little bit because, I mean, imagine. Imagine you knew you had a weakness, and then just circumstances meant that you were always having to deal with that weakness. It's not going to be fun, or like personally fulfilling.
0: Yeah, I would. I would maybe admit I have a fucking weakness, though. <laughs> instead of like instead of being a dick about it. Um. Uh. All right. So this actually that's actually a fairly good transition to this. So this question is something that um came up with actually a friend of mine uh uh via text and i had originally had a sort of earmarked for our match or for our uh, recap uh in podcast last week but we were sort of running out of time and i sort of just punted it to this week and you know this is a text i got from from a guy a friend of mine after the rsl that drab rsl um you know results uh coupled with you know the previous three results where we hadn't you know hadn't won a match in and four matches at this point so this is the text i got so um i sort of low-key don't like this franchise at all from heath to the lagos infallibility to everything in the middle year four five question mark and i've yet to make the same connection that i did with dortmund after half a season so this is a guy a little bit of context here this is a guy who you know has been a dortmund fan for a while now just kind of picked dortmund fell in love with them obviously they are a fun team Minnesota is not dormant but you know as as someone who lives in Minnesota became a Loons fan he became a Loons fan right pretty much right when they started at MLS I think he had been to a couple matches in the NASL days um but he really you know became a fan after they jumped to MLS and this is co- i I've seen this sort of same conversation happening and it's a question that I have uh related to this team and I mean MJ you and I have been been followers of minnesota soccer for a long time right so like i'm invested in this wholly and thoroughly invested in minnesota uh minnesota united and you know whatever iteration that they're in dan you're a little newer but you've, you've uh, been around for a while as well um but i'm seeing a lot of a lot of people who are um who are newer newish who maybe came came on board you know right at the end of the NASL era right with mls and seeing this team sort of um you know for I, I keep saying punching themselves in the dick when it comes to these public relations things and we're and i'm seeing this is this is a guy uh my buddy well not name who like has disposable income you know uh is is the kind of person you know he's sort of in that age demographic you know in the you know the 25 to 45 um the, the type of person that you know Minnesota wants to cultivate um you know the only type of person that they're trying to cultivate quite frankly uh that you know that and and families are not actually doing any sort of outreach to you know the non you know white community um but even he is losing interest and faith in this team and it's a question that i i, I don't really necessarily know what the question is in terms of but it's it is if this team is losing a guy like that, I mean, how, I, I guess the, maybe the question is like, how much longer do you think we're going to be selling out Allianz when, you know, this sort of stuff continues to happen? Um, you know, there's obviously, I know there's a waiting list uh, for season tickets to Allianz, but it, I've, I've had conversations, conversations with multiple people about, you know, whether, because even Anne and I are talking, have been talking about like, well, you know because we do, we do we expand because we you know starting next year ragnar is going to need a ticket for matches so it's like well do we do we get a ticket because he's not going to come to all the matches he's maybe only going to come to four or five matches do we get the azure ticket or do we just sort of like say screw it and either one of us will just not go to the match and we'll bring him um do we just get, just go down to one ticket because you know is it is it worth it for us to go um so even i'm having those conversations with myself and my wife um you know, we're definitely probably, you know, at least for the time being going to stick around with what we have. But if you had told me two years ago when Ragnar was born, I would have been like, hell yeah, as soon as he needs a ticket, I'm going to buy a ticket. Now I'm not so sure that I want to buy a ticket for him um, and continue to give this club any more money than than I already am giving them. So there's not really a question there. It's more of a statement. But do you guys, I mean, are you guys sensing the same thing? Um, Do you have any thoughts in regards to this sort of feeling of malaise with the team? Dan, do you want to go first on this? Sure. Um,
1: You know, I think this is really hard. I think it's a really hard time to make these judgments, right? Because the nature of soccer, more than almost any other sport, um, I'm not deep enough into the hockey community to know if this is true for hockey, but I get the sense that it is. That the community is a huge aspect of what drives the fandom. And soccer fans are flat out more intense than any group of fans in the world other than maybe sec college football fans um, that's that is truly and like i actually did research on this when i was in college i was i tried to get a phd and no one would fund it because nerds still hate jocks even at that level um <laughs> like the especially if you're measuring things by by violence as a proxy variable for intensity there's really no comparison. Soccer fans are a world unto themselves. The nature of COVID has meant that all of those meaningful moments we've lost. And you're just looking at the, the results and kind of how the team gets there. And it's way harder to get like really, really excited about big wins just because you're not there with people and you don't have that feel like, I was just looking at at results and thinking, you know, hey, this has been kind of a crap month for Minnesota United. Um, I'm clearly no longer planning my days and nights around when their games are. That's a little bit of an, a, the the responsibility of the fixture list. And I was reminded of the 4-0 against RSL. That game would have been amazing to be at. We would have had so much fun. It would have been an absolute blast. Blackheart afterwards would have been an, a blast. Wonderwall would have been blaring. And we've lost all of that. And so... I totally identify with the feeling, but I feel like we've lost all of the things that make soccer more than any other sport. And it's really hard to to, to get that back in any meaningful sense. Yeah. Now, that said, what I see the team doing, and this really gets to the heart of what your friend's point is, is they're becoming like any other team. And so those disposable dollars, they aren't as assigned as they used to be. So for example, you know, if you, let's say, and none of us are, but if you were both a twin season ticket holder and a Minnesota United season ticket holder, business wasn't quite as good for like literally anybody this year. So you're going to go down to one. I get the sense that for most United fans, this would be a no brainer. You know, you're keeping your Allianz tickets. You'll figure out a few twins games to go to, but you can kind of give those up. They're all twin tickets are also more expensive. And now all of a sudden that becomes a dollar per game calculation. And uh, well, we give these away more often, et cetera. And that's not a position United wants to be in. They want to be in these dollars are committed to Minnesota United. They are not part of my, my fungible pot for tickets and eating out and other entertainment. And that I think they are losing Um, how much they are losing that with people who weren't already huge fans of the club, I don't know. If you came to, to United when they joined MLS, you had no NASL experience. You didn't have the intimacy, intimacy of that experience in Blaine. And this was always just a team to you. Are those people frustrated with the club? Or is it just people like us that commit so much time and so much emotional energy to this? Because we used to have a relationship and now what we have is just a spectator entertainment, yeah. Whatever you want to call that.
0: Yeah, I think your your first point is great um, about the the community and stuff. That is definitely something that is very noticeable that we just don't have that, um, and it's is a frustrating part because that I, I, is part of why I love this this team and the sport so much. Is all the people that I've gotten to know and and you know talk to and see on a regular basis. I mean, hell, that's the reason this podcast exists is because Martin and I wanted to get together every week and and shoot the shit and talk soccer. Um, So there's that. Your your second point to to that sort of last last part of your of the of the second point, you know, this person is someone who relatively new came came on board. Maybe you know again with a couple NASL matches, mostly MLS. And I think there's I think there's two competing things. I think there are the people who are just frustrated with the way the team um exists and operates now right that it's not as fan friendly um we don't have the same because i mean a lot of us know i mean no new people in the front office right like we a lot of us had you know nick rogers's phone number we could text nick and be like hey what's going on you know why are you doing this thing that's that whole thing just doesn't exist anymore right and there's good reasons for that and and there's that's good and that's bad um you know, I believe that of the on the non-team side, on the non-sporting side, um, Sean Sitnick, who is the VP of of sales and tickets and all that, is the second longest tenured uh, staff member, with Angie Blaker being um, the most longest tenured member of the of the front office staff. Um, and I, you know, I remember, and I, you know, I have Sean as someone I c- I can call if I need to, if I have a if I have a question about something, um, but most people don't have that. And the other thing too is that most people who are sort of coming, that's just, that's something we consider, right? Like, as a Twins fan, you wouldn't even consider just having Dave St. Peter's number and be like, oh yeah, I just want to call Dave St. Peter because I'm I'm pissed off about this thing about a bag policy at at at, at you know Target Field whereas some of us can do that if we are pissed off about the bag policy we can give Sean Sitnik a call and you know give him a piece of our mind and he's going to he's going to sit and listen to us right um, may not change anything but he'll at least listen to us and we we know that we can at least we have that we have an ear of someone in the front office and so I think there's some frustration that that is happening for for the long timers but I think I'm 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 not so much worried about the long the long timers right like I think teams sports teams understand that people will sort of like age out and soccer specifically soccer is a much younger audience right generally um than the other professional sports i think there's there's been studies done about this in terms of like season ticket and things like that it's much younger it's much more um uh city based uh but you know there's a point where everybody kind of people age out right like the gray clouds is a great example right they're old like old school dark clouds who just who aren't in the wonderwall anymore and slowly moved out of the section and and made way for younger people to come in and, and take over and run things and Getting to the point now where it's like, you know, starting people are starting the age out process who've been around for, you know, eight, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. Um anyway, so I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the people who just came on board, um, you know, four years ago, five years ago, who are seeing the team and seeing what the team is doing now. So MJ, do you have any any thoughts on this? Oh boy, do I. <laughs>
2: uh so Minnesota Pro Soccer in a nutshell not going as far back as some people would uh i did did not ever get to watch the thunder you know i didn't fall in love with you know buzz manny gerard lagos the lagos family the owner of the minnesota thunder skipped town leaving the thunder with rocky mountain sizes of debt and ruining the minnesota thunder name because anyone who takes that name will incur those those debts and so out of that came the Minnesota stars that was heavily propped up by the national sport sports center. And that's kind of when I got involved was that towards the end of the first year, of the Minnesota stars and then watched them for, for two more years. And they made two championship runs in, in those in 2011, 2012, we desperately needed an owner. And, you know, Bill McGuire buys the team. He changes the colors. He changes the name, gives us a new crest that we all love, saves our team. You know, and it, feel, it feels really good. He injects more money into NASL than anybody else is doing. And then the summer of 2014 comes around, and the Minnesota Vikings are putting in a bid to have an MLS team. And Minnesota United needs to decide whether they want to continue playing in the NASL and seeing another pro soccer team come in, play in a higher league, take a lot of their fan base, or make a MLS bid themselves. And they did the right thing. The dark clouds, I can't remember if True North Elite were around then, but basically the supporters group were all in favor of the Minnesota United bid for MLS, not the Minnesota Vikings, and to have some sort of continuity with the history of Pro soccer in Minnesota. Yeah, that change—the change for me seemed less when Bill McGuire bought the team, even though he did inject a lot more money into that second division NASL than a lot of other team owners were doing. But it seemed more when we shifted to MLS, and someone like a coach Carl Craig is is left without even an assistant coaching job, and 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 we hire Adrian Heath and and Ian Fuller and. Miss etc. That to me is where a large change happened. Now, prior to that, there were some really good people who left Minnesota United, and I'm not privy to say why. But there were there there were a lot of good front office people who basically said we're not going to put up with this, and, and they left um, during the NASL days. And that's a whole other podcast in <laughs> itself. Yeah, let's 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 wrap this up, <laughs> but. I mean, I have seen shifts in in this club and it's getting to be less and less personal. Mm-hmm. And I think to what your friend's going at, if he's finding a German club that he can't even go to the games and hang out with the fans live to be more personable of, of a connection than his local team, that's a problem. And to Dan's point, it's hard to have personal like, connections when you can't go to a stadium talk with team representatives, talk with team game day staff, cheer for players on the field, meet your friends. You know, that's super hard. But you we've seen a gradual shift of the team being more about corporate sales and more about numbers of people in the the stands and a little less about personal connection.
0: Yep, and that happens uh, when you when you sort of make that move uh, up the chain. So, all right, well, let's, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we have a couple of former loons uh, in the news um, for good and bad reasons, unfortunately. But, uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that, and then we'll break down a little bit uh, FC, or at Nashville SC and then our upcoming match on Sunday against FC Dallas. So, take a break, and we'll be right back. You won't me? that type of dude and i want
1: to be who you like me to, but we both know i can't do nothing at all oh
0: yeah uh-huh. all right and we're back so we have a couple of uh former loons in the news uh first off kevin venegas once a loon uh, in ASL days as well as a the first year in mls speaking of uh uh and nasl to mls transfers uh he scored a goal he he was playing for the cosmos um moved on to detroit city fc uh earlier this year uh, he scored a goal um in the uh, nisa fall tournament semifinals to send dcfc to um to the final they
2: in- and' yeah, actually the the last group stage game before the semifinal.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, MJ. Um, so they,
1: they,
2: they, they, they won 4-2 against New Amsterdam FC. And that last group stage put them as one of the top two teams in the East. And that meant they got to go to the semifinal.
0: Excellent. And they beat the Oakland Roots, uh, Oakland Roots future USL uh, championship team, uh, two to one in the Nisa fall tournament final. So uh, good job to Kevin Venegas. I want to be Venegas always and forever. So
2: one of my favorite teams from the uh, players for the Minnesota stars and and Minnesota United and was one of the better players with the ball at his feet. It was always fun to watch him dribble through guys.
1: He definitely, he definitely doesn't quite come to mind when you start the category, start the question of like, you know, what loon do you want to see if they'd never been injured? But for me, he's like the number one, um, so so dynamic with the ball at his feet the connection between he and and ramirez was incredible and then he blows his knee against that bournemouth
0: i believe so yeah
1: it was i know it was a friendly i think it was bournemouth and just never quite the same player when he came back so wish him all the best really happy apparently this is like the first trophy he has ever won full stop which is kind Mm -hmm. of amazing to me but uh full full congrats to him
0: yeah good on him uh all right and then in uh less great news uh, Colin Martin um, was in the news as well. Uh, he's been playing for the San Diego Loyal in the USL Championship. Uh, San, Diego, San Diego Loyal coached by Landon Donovan, as a matter of fact. They had a match a couple weeks ago against LA Galaxy 2. Uh, and then a um, one of the Loyal players was caught call- by was called the N-word. Um by Omar Onteveros. And it was heard by the players, Heard by Elijah Martin, the loyal midfielder who was the target of the of the N-word. Um, no action was taken. And basically, the San Diego Loyal um ownership group and and, and um the you know Landon Donovan and the man and the coaches just felt bad about that, right? They you know Landon Donovan had a great quote saying, you know, what's the point of you know, doing these Black Lives Matter, um, you know, kneeling before the match and, and having all the the signage and everything. If we're not actually going to sort of, basically, you know, to paraphrase quote, was like, if we're not going to actually like act when we see these things prop up in, in our game, these these gestures are just empty then. Um, and the chairman of uh Sandy Loyal, um, you know, the, the, so, so sorry, sorry, the Loyal end up drawing the game one to one, but in the post game, you know, he asked to, to forfeit the game. Uh, they wanted to forfeit their point in protest. Um, USL did not allow them to, to do that. Um, match stayed one-to-one. And they had a match last weekend. And San Diego Loyal had an opportunity to uh, to potentially make the playoffs, depending on how other games went. to point out that the Galaxy released Ontiveros, uh, at, you know, within a few days of the uh, incident happening. Uh, October 1st. Loyal were up 3-1 to one in the first half uh, against Phoenix Rising. Phoenix Rising is a really good USL team. They are the the equivalent of a super club in, in terms of um, in terms of USL, right? Is, as best you can be a super club in, in USL. Yes. They, have very, they have a very large ownership group. Didier Drogba is part of the ownership group. Uh, Brandon McCarthy, a former uh, Major League Baseball pitcher, is part of the ownership group. They've done really well in USL in the last few years. Actually had a few players um get uh, mls contracts and and you know probably a, a few more after this year is up uh, at some point during the match um uh, the phoenix rising midfielder junior flemings uh who's jamaican uh colin martin got into it um and junior flemings used a uh, a word um a jamaican gay slur uh, i'm not gonna re- i'm not gonna say it here um you jeff Ruder and his article uh mentions it and then stops using it i don't want to um you know, give it any more, any more credence than it already has. Anyways, he definitely uses a gay slur. He knows Colin Martin's gay, uses that gay slur. Colin Martin goes to the referee to to explain and to say that, you know, this guy had used this uh, gay slur. Um, The referee doesn't hear him. Um, And so he doesn't, he tells the referee again, the referee thinks that Colin Martin is, this is according to Colin Martin's uh, statements. The the, the referee thinks that Colin Martin is calling him a gay slur gives Colin Martin a red card um which was completely bonkers uh Colin Martin pointed out that it was the first time in his eight-year playing career that he's ever had a slur directed at him during a game now Colin Martin came out in 2017 2018 2018 uh so he's the first um active MLS player um to come out uh or he was, he's no he's not the first because um not the first, but he is the only sort of active MLS player currently out uh, right now. So this all happens. Colin Martin gets a red card. Um, the two teams sort of converge, uh, Landon Donovan and uh, Phoenix head coach uh, Rich Schantz um, get together. Um, and basically you know, the referee realizes what has happened says he's going to rescind the red card for Colin Martin. Um, Landon Dott, and, and one of the loyal players goes up to, to uh, Shantz, the Phoenix rising head coach and explains what happened that, you know, the, the player had called, um, called Colin Martin Gaisler. Uh, Rick Shantz. Uh, and he has, she has a really, and, and, you know, he has a really great apology now that just came out earlier this afternoon or this evening. Uh, this is on Monday, the 5th, um, but he did not do a really great job uh, at the time. He was very heated. Um, you know, he, you uh, basically said we know there's actually i mean honestly i don't really want to spend a time i'm describing there's plenty of articles the defector uh had a really great piece on it um jeff reuter and meg Linehan on the athletic did a really great piece on it espn i mean this is all over the place um basically Landon on goes to to the referee that if he tells the referee if he doesn't if he doesn't um remove that player from the game that loyal probably aren't going to play the second half um they go into the locker room and uh Landed on Donovan, there's actually a post after the game, a few, uh, about an hour or so after the game, Landon Donovan basically explains his whole side of, the, of what happened. The team originally had wanted to go back out there, um, realize that, you know, they they need to take action. They can't let these things uh, just happen and, and with no action on the field, they'll decide to not play the match unless either the referee removes the player um, or, the Phoenix Rising coach subs him off. The team was the Loyal were willing to play, they were already up three to one and a half in a game they needed to win, playing really, really well against a, a really good Phoenix Rising team. Again, in the match they needed to win in order to make the playoffs. Landonovan um, goes down, basically says to, to Chance, um, you need to sub him off. Chance refuses. And the Loyal walk off and forfeit the match. Um, match ends up being a forfeit, uh, which means three points to Phoenix Rising. Ultimately, it wouldn't have mattered if Well, San Diego had won um, because the result that they needed to happen in another match did not happen. But it didn't matter because they didn't know that at the time. Um, They really um, took a a stance that no team that we've seen no team do. And I'll say all the credit to Landon Donovan um, for allowing his team to decide to do that. Uh, Full credit to the team for sticking up for their player, uh, for sticking up for Colin Martin and for doing, you know, what was... uh, ultimately the right thing and a really amazing and powerful thing. Something we don't, we've never seen. I mean, um, outside of, especially in soccer, we've had, we obviously we had with the um, black lives matter uh, movement and we've seen some teams, um, you know, refuse to play after um, the shooting in Wisconsin, but we never seen a team leave in the middle of a pitch in the middle of a match, right. Or middle of a game, walk off the field and take a forfeit. So, do you guys have any you want to anything you want to say? I mean, again, I just I want to say this is just this was a really amazing, uh, awesome gesture, and I would I would encourage anybody to take a chance to find as much as they can to read about this.
2: The match against Los, An- Los Angeles Galaxy two because of the racial slur incident that happened in that game, the players and coaches of San Diego Loyal and Phoenix Rising met together, and they agreed since that incident happened in. The 71st minute, that racial slur was uttered in the 71st minute, that at the 71st minute of this game, they would stop play and hold a banner that maybe said, you know, Landon Donovan's motto of, we need to speak, we need to act, or something of that, something about taking responsibility and taking action for stopping this sort of discrimination. That 71st minute of that game never happened because of another slur that was uttered. Correct, yeah not having to do with race this time but hopefully from this comes talks about intersectionality comes and talks about slurs and oppression and hate speech in a a larger category that can give multiple teams kind of thought how we want to handle education and handle training when it comes to these matters because it's it's really important they took they they took a stand and it's I cannot believe that after having a conversation before the game on, hey, this was a tough week for us, we had this incident happen. Can we join in hand in hand, arm in arm with your team and hold up this banner together? And they were all in for it. But when it comes to things like trash talk, old habits die hard. And you know we've we've had discussions over certain chants that have been acceptable in, in, in Mexico for a number of years. And debates on, does it have to do with this body part or is is it offensive to these people and should it be or not? And it's really, really important that those of us that aren't affected by these chants that it doesn't refer to us or couldn't refer to us, we don't get the say on whether that should be offensive or not.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: 100%. This is just sort of, I don't, know, I don't want to say unbelievable because, you know, people whether they're part of the LGBTQ community or whether uh, it's a racial incident have told us for years that this stuff happens And so it unfortunately is entirely believable. The fact that it happened to San Diego loyal back-to-back weeks is a little remarkable but um, yeah you know it's it's hard not to be proud of San Diego. I think I think there are two things that make this, really notable and something that will go down as being particularly important. The first is that they are the first team to walk off to do it, because I think it's really easy to say, if you're a player, if you're part of a team, you know, well, you know, we, we do sincerely believe these things. It's not just talk, but when it happens at the moment, like, what are we supposed to do? And here's your answer. The answer is y'all look at each other and you walk off. Um, I thought Landon's, uh, compromise offer of hey you take this play like if the, the referee you should be sending this player off if the ref doesn't turn to the coach and say you need to take this player off and if you do that we'll keep playing i thought that was actually remarkably fair yeah chance decides not to do that and kind of is a dick about it by his own admin uh, his, his own admission in the statement which i thought it was a nice sign of personal growth the fact that it's landon donovan i think really does matter He's such a well-respected figure within U.S. soccer. He is such a legendary figure. So the fact that it's him and it's the fact that a guy known for being one of the fiercest competitors in the world saying, you know what? There are things more important than soccer and equality is one of them. And we're walking, Mm -hmm. I think speaks one. It speaks tremendous volumes about his character and the character he's instilled in that team. Um, I think it's amazing that those guys rallied around a teammate like that. Like it's, it, it speaks so, so highly of them. But I think the fact that it's Landon's team will matter because it's going to be the next time this happens, whatever coach's player is the one who gets abused can then sort of point at Landon fucking Donovan and say, look, if that guy can do it, we can do it too. So uh, this is obviously a horrible incident. I feel terrible for Colin Martin. Um, in the athletic piece, there's a, a photo of him with his head in his hands during halftime. And like, you just sort of feel sick. He doesn't deserve that. Nobody de- nobody deserves that. Uh, but for San Diego to come out and really support him, wow, that's in retrospect, a very unfortunate choice of phrase. For, <laughs> for San Diego to uh, to support their player in this way, I think is remarkable. And I'm so happy someone did it because that makes the next time and the next time and the next time that much easier and this is how we get racism and homophobia out of soccer
0: yeah and i'll just say um if you haven't read it uh the the statement that we were alluding to um it, it's on rick chance's uh twitter uh at rick chance one that's S C H A N T Z one um and then he tagged the uh, phoenix risings twitter as well um actually legitimately you know heartfelt apology um owning up to his mistakes. Um, and apologizing, you know, um, and in letting people know what he's going to do, not just, you know, just very, you know, platitudes and things like that, actual concrete steps that he's going to take to, you know, fix his, you know, conscious and unconscious bias. In terms of apologies for fucking up, this is, is, you know, a pretty get damn good one. I mean, obviously, we wish people don't have to make these apologies anymore, because they're just not fucking up. But it's important that when people do that, you know, they are legitimate and they are heartfelt and they are truthful and they're owning up to realizing the error of their ways and the mistakes that they made and owning up to it and, and committing to being, to doing better, um, which is really, you know, the minimum that we can ask for. Like, I think we we really ultimately want people just to do good without having to make these mistakes, but people are human, right? They will make mistakes. You will say things in the heat of the moment. Um, doesn't mean they're right. But um, again, I think Rick did a uh, really great job of, of acknowledging his 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 actions and his and how they um, caused offense and how they looked I and mean, it made him look um, like a not great person uh, in the in the in the heat of the moment. So
1: I was glad to see too, and this is mentioned in the statement that he privately reached out to Colin Martin and made an apology before doing anything in public. Um, that's so it, it wasn't your your. The the absolute worst thing you can do with an apology. I'm sorry to anyone who was offended. Like, no, you know who you hurt. Reach out. Do the really hard thing of looking someone in the eye and saying, "Hey, I really fucked up and I hurt you, and I'm sorry." And he did that. So that that was one thing about the statement that was particularly important to me. Yes.
0: Yes. Anything else on on this? Otherwise, we can move on to uh, some lower league soccer, other lower league soccer,
1: even lower league soccer, even lower
0: league soccer. Even lower league soccer. Uh, all right. Uh, Ford Madison um, had a, a match on Sunday or sorry, Saturday against FC Tucson uh, ended a 0-0 draw one shot on match the entire game. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty drab affair. Unfortunately, uh, Madison's currently in fifth place in USL league one. They're on 15 points. They are seven points out of second place, but they do have two matches in hand on the second place team. That second place team is uh USL league one newcomers union Omaha um them of the of the Owl pit of uh, the Owl uh crest and they are playing on Sunday against Union Omaha at home which is more or less a must-win match for Madison um as we mentioned last week USL League 1 uh final the championship is going to be between the first and second place team um the first place team is 8 points clear of the second place team so it's really four teams sort of jockeying for for one spot uh except Madison has a couple matches in hand they're seven points out of second place if they lose this match, um, they're pretty much it's pretty much over. They're not mathematically eliminated, but more or less are probably done for for the year in terms of making the playoffs. But a win, and you never know. Um, stranger things have happened. So, uh, MJ Minneapolis City.
2: Yeah. So they've been playing these seven on seven games. They split into four teams. The finals of the seven on seven are this Wednesday. You can go to their website or go to at Mpls City SC on Twitter and figure out how to attend this these games. They are up at, at the Nessie, right? National Sports Center, David? So yes. David's nodding, so that means they are. And currently uh, a member of the Minneapolis Citizens and a board member of Minneapolis SC have created three trophies, kind of all inside jokes, but there's a golden crow there's a soccer ball on a column of nuts that's called the Nutmeg Award and a plaque that looks like a old cathode ray tube television that has gone amiss with called the technical difficulties plaque. And so they're, they're hoping to hand these player awards out to three Minneapolis city players at the end of the final as pseudo MVPs in the sort of silly way that Minneapolis city does things. So it um, should be fun. I won't be able to be there. Uh, David, will you be able to go 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 again?
0: Uh, no, unfortunately not. So, but yeah, so that's the Minneapolis City Minute. Right on. Okay. All right, let's talk about uh, a couple upcoming matches. Let's fo- we'll focus mostly on Nashville. Um, we are playing FC Dallas on Sunday. We've played Dallas like three other times already, so you know I think we need to spend too much time dissecting Dallas. But Nashville is a team. And we have not played. Um, they are expansion team. Uh, Jamie Watson is a, is, in the, uh, is in the booth for Nashville. so if you are using that VPN, you're more than likely going to get Jamie Watson's dulcet tones in your in your ears uh, listening during the, during the match. So uh, all right, so Minnesota um, so actually Nashville is favored uh, to win this match. Uh, they're plus 130. Minnesota's plus 205 draws plus 240. Uh, Over under is two two and a half goals. Uh, the over being minus one hundred five, uh, the under, assuming that's plus one fifteen, um, but it might be minus one fifteen. Minus anyway, well, it does not matter? Uh, all right, so, um, all right. Who? So we obviously there's a lot of there's some connections between Minnesota and uh, Nashville. The first being Abu Danladi. Unfortunately, Abu Danladi is hurt and probably will not be playing in this game. Um, guys, who else do we need to to think about or worry about with Nashville? Nashville. Currently sitting in, I believe, ninth place in in the Eastern Conference. So they are in the playoff spots uh, in the Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference, um, uh, just a reminder, gets 10 teams in the playoffs. And the Western Conference has eight teams uh, in the playoffs this year. So who else on Nashville do we need to to talk about?
2: A defensive midfielder number six that plays like a number eight when they need to, Dax McCarty. I forgot Dax McCarty's
0: on Nashville.
1: Nashville has a bunch of, like, above-average MLSers that you thought maybe had retired a season or two ago, and it turns out, no.
0: Yeah.
1: Because no, they they've got, like, Alex Moyle is there, David Akam is there, although he's hurt for this game. It, it really is a, who's that of MLS? <laughs> um,
2: yeah. Walker Zimmerman, one of the better center backs that they pulled from LAFC. Um, Dave yeah. Romney, who is the the shitty fullback that I like to make fun of is actually looking very good at center back this year.
1: I think honestly Dave Romney wouldn't have been nearly such a punchline if he hadn't been a DP for the galaxy. He just like clearly isn't that caliber player. So he's not a DP for Nashville and he's a completely functional center back. Like they have probably one of the best center back pairings in the league right now in those two. Um, The unfortunate thing for Nashville is every time they get into anything resembling an attacking rhythm, they immediately lose those players. They get hurt. So uh they came out against uh was it New England that they played last weekend in a five nope, that doesn't add up. Four three two one, not a five yeah. three, two, one. Four it, three two one.
0: Very, I, very, very defensive, uh defensive formation for sure. They and those three uh in front of the four were were literally parking the bus. So it was a very yeah. defensive formation against New England, which is not the most uh Attacking of teams,
1: but I think we can reasonably expect them to do the same thing against United. Um, Daniel Rios had been their are really good attacking player. He'll miss this game and should miss uh, a bit more time after that. David Akam, same thing. So there's just they don't have enough up top. To play i mean i guess you'll say this is a counter-attacking strategy but honestly they're they're playing for the draw
0: <laughs> other minnesota connections eric miller uh was selected in the re-entry draft by nashville um former minnesota united player um wonder i'm guessing sue miller will be watching will be watching the match eric's mom um yeah and is there i mean anybody else that we should t- we should talk about uh i guess randall leal um who is the first dp that nashville signed hasn't quite found it um I think he has one goal and no assists in uh, 12 appearances so far. He's a, you know, midfielder. He's not really been anything. And, and that is kind of the, the Nashville's MO. They just, they haven't, they keep games tight. They play a really solid defensive shape. Um, you know, as you guys mentioned, like they have a, a bunch of, they have a bunch of MLS veterans, Joe, Joe Willis and goal. Um, so they have guys that will, like professional soccer players, but they don't have anything that, can generate any sort of creativity. They're, they're much like FC Cincinnati in that way, except they're better defenders.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh, one of their attacking players that w- should be healthy and that has been getting more playing t- time of recent is Senegalese player uh, Dominic uh, Baji. And so he's number nine. He can kind of play as a false nine as well, kind of being more of a playmaker role, but he, he has pretty decent distribution and field vision for someone who plays up top. He might be, you know, with David Akam and Damati out, he might be someone to watch out for as a scoring threat. But yeah, they, they're,
0: I'm kind of surprised they're favored in this game. So it's like kind of takes us to the next question is how does United play them considering, you know, that we have, there were probably, you know, more than likely three at the back. Although again, um, as I mentioned, uh, in the Andy Greeter article, uh, Adrian, he potentially mentioned a four, four, two, um, but when you have Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney, who again, who are, or very stellar center backs, I'm not necessarily sure the strategy that we, that we've been liking to take, which is sort of, you know, run the ball down the side of the pitch and, and cross it in and hope that Kai Kamara can get his head on the ball is going to be very effective, um, in terms I- of a bash and grab style game how do we how do we see Minnesota United playing playing Nashville? I would love to
2: see a four four two. Without Gasper, I doubt we will. I, I'm guessing we'll see three in the back, but I would love to see a four four two where instead of Reynoso being slotted in at second striker, you put him as one of the double pivot in the middle with a with a Dotson and you let Molino be the second striker. And you have Edwards on the left and Lude on the right. And those are your those are your front six. That's what I would love to see, but I doubt, I doubt we'll see that.
1: Yeah. I like it. I I like where your head's at, MJ. Yeah. Um, uh, I I tend to agree that we're not going to do a four-four-two. I suppose the one X factor would be if Noah Billingsley has like three incredible days of training and the team gets really inventive. Um, but I just don't. I don't see that as possible. Or I suppose I mean, Brent Coleman has spent some time at fullback. He wasn't necessarily great there, but he at least. Kind of knows the zip code there. Um, I suspect you'll see a three-five-two. Not a particularly weak particular weakness of Joe Willis necessarily, but look, if this team is going to throw a four-three-two-one out there, that means in order to get an attack really going, you're going to have to get around about seven defenders plus the keeper. To me, that uh, that really sets up more for United to. Give Hasani Dotson. Uh, honestly, this would have been perfect for Gray Goosh, but it's not an option. Um, set up for for Dotson to shoot from outside the box. Let's see what Reynoso can do outside the box. Um, to me, Kamara's role in this game will be really sticking about the penalty spot, not so much to get service from the wings, but to drag defenders because it's just going to be flat out hard to shoot
0: through that kind of forest. Yeah, hundred percent. And to and rebounds. I think you're hoping that maybe he can pounce on a rebound or two, you know, to, to your common point. I mean, theoretically you could put common at center back with box on slide to bossy uh, over to the left. Um, but Kai DeBossi has played some, has played some left back. So if you, if Keith was truly in, interested in, in going for at the back, there is, you know, there are ways to do it that don't necessarily involve, um, uh, Noah Billingsley being in the, uh, in the starting lineup. So, you know, I'm with you. I, I think it is going to be a very defensive match for Nashville. I think they're going to hope that they can, you know, get something on the counter um, or off a set piece. Um, we've seen Minnesota obviously be vulnerable on those things, so I think that is going to be the Gary Smith game plan for Nashville to um, try and, you know, you know, steal a point, uh, steal a, few, a three points at home. Um, you know, playing it a tight defensive uh, a shape and uh, hoping that Minnesota, you know, tries to do the thing where they, you know, have been doing where they just try and cross it in and uh, let Walker Zerman and Dave Robney take care of things. So uh, how do we think it ends? Uh, Dan?
1: I think this is a drab draw. Um, I don't think Nashville has any interest in going forward, even if Minnesota does to give them a little bit of space to do so. And I think United puts up a decent attacking effort, but they just can't break down Nashville's defense.
2: That's fair. MJ? I think that somehow – nashville what they like to do on the attack is cross the balls in and get weak side headers they they send way more attacking balls and attacking third off off the pitch head height than most teams i know and we struggle with weak side marking so if they do that i say uh we lose by one goal
1: they also have the x factor of this being a de facto second season opener uh, fans will be back in Nashville for the first time since COVID this week. And I, uh, I would imagine that that's going to generate some, some pretty solid atmosphere given how excited, I mean, these guys got what one home game in their inaugural MLS season. So look, I know if it was us, I'd be champing at the bit to scream at some opposing players.
0: And it's true. Good point, Dan. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it leans. You know, either a national win, but I'm, I think I'm leaning towards uh, a draw. I'm thinking it's something like one-to-one, um, and it's not a very exciting game. So, all right, and then uh, FC Dallas, is there anything you want? Is there anything we want to talk about FC Dallas, or you just want to predict the game?
1: The one thing I will note uh, is right before Minnesota played Dallas, I honestly think for the first time, uh, came out, Paxton Pomacle was going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, that was right after Reggie Cannon uh, had originally gotten in contact with Bo Vista. Arguably their two best players. They lose uh, Ronald Ziegler to a situation back home. He, he's certainly one of their five best players, at maybe not their third, but right up there. And this team has gotten better. They have lost their absolute top end talent, and all of a sudden they are playing like a team that has nothing to lose and is really difficult to beat. And uh, kudos kudos to them for that. I hope that they lose that momentum now because Minnesota has to play them twice before the end of the season. But honestly, uh, when when it came out that Pomichael was going to be out for the rest of the season, I pretty well buried this team and I was wrong to do
0: it. Well, who you got uh, against Dallas? Dallas. Uh, I say uh, Papa or an,
2: and Ryan Acosta make life difficult for us. So I say it's a draw. And
0: then you, have, you said you have Dallas?
1: I got Dallas winning this. Right. Yeah, right. I think I think Minnesota's fatigue really starts to show against Dallas, who and Dallas loves to run. So yeah. they'll
0: run us um, into the ground. And they are at home. Um, they will play a, a away match against uh, Houston on Wednesday. But I, I, yeah, I think Dallas is too much for Minnesota. I think Minnesota needs this game. I think Minnesota needs to come out of this week with uh, two points at least if they if they legitimately want to at least host a playoff game um but the the west is really tight man it's it you know san jose just won over the weekend uh this the west is is really really tight and you know anywhere from you know i'd say third to 10th is going to be on the line so um i i think i agree i think dallas is going to win this one so uh all right that wraps us up for the week um one thing i will say if if something crazy happens in the national game uh mj and i will get together on wednesday to do a podcast if not uh we will probably just we'll recap everything uh for you all next week so um so yeah so just uh pay attention for that remember rate and review us wherever you get the podcast uh daves i know.com uh, patreon.com slash the daves i know you can follow us at TDIKMN on twitter um i'm at texas Zeller. dan's at d wade mj at mj matt suey up the fucking toffees <laughs> up the fucking toffees all right, sounds good. All right, thanks, everybody, for
2: listening. Now, We've been, we been the Dave's, you know, this is Dave's. We've got to try and work it out because we both know we can't do nothing at all. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. we oh. We we do our thing, son. As long as you do yours, land here, become fake, con Yeah. Uh, we, we do yeah. our things, son. Do the act we attract to, hope to reach one.
0: Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our things, Do it. We, 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 do, it. Uh, we do our things, son. Some will paint a piece, some spray with a machine gun. It's bad work to be done. We, uh, we, we do our <laughs> things, son. We uh, can't, can't do nothing at all. Yeah, I know we can't do nothing at all.